I'm excited. It's always a privilege to be able to share. I don't take this lightly. It's a great joy um, to be here and be able to speak to you today. Um, And I'm going to be in the book of Exodus, chapter 19. Um, And I have a title, and my title is uh, To Meet with God. To Meet with God. And there it is, right? The mountain. I asked Christina, I was like, can you put a mountain when you make the image? Because in the story, we're we're at the mountain. We're at the base of the mountain, and Moses is going up. And um, yeah, I was like, put some fire and some smoke. And she was laughing at me. And uh, so... But to meet with God, that's my idea today. And not just that we would be able to meet with God, but that we would be able to help others meet with God as well, right? It's twofold. It goes different ways. That's why it's to meet with God. And um, my idea, too, is this, that it's only by God's deliverance do we come into his presence and reflect it in the world. But to be in his presence and reflect it requires obedience to him, right? And there's a lot there, and we're going to unpack that and see it in the story, Um but I was just thinking, thinking about the people of Israel and also us as well. Uh, do you remember being a child, or maybe you saw it in your children, when after a long car ride, um, they'd usually fall asleep, or they would fall asleep right when you get to the house, and then they're unable to walk into the house or into the bed. I remember being a little kid, and we'd pull in a driveway, right, close your eyes real shut, be limp, you know, and just... And then it's like, all right, time to get upstairs. And you don't move. You're just so tired, right? Tired. And then they have to pick you up and bring you into the house. I mean, you only have a window of time to do that. I mean, maybe have like two or three years. I mean, once you're 15, you can't do that anymore. And, and I just like, I remember like having my parents like just eyes half shut, you know, and then bringing us to our room. And, uh, and then also like there was times where we really were asleep and you're sleeping in the car. You fall asleep, your eyes, boom, you know, you're asleep. And then you wake up and you're in your bed and you're like, wow. This is awesome, right? But it's, it's like, I was just thinking how you, you can't, you, you didn't get yourself into that room. You had nothing to do with getting into that room as a child, right? It was your parents who picked you up, or as a grandma or grandpa or uncle or aunt who picked you up, right, and brought you into that room. And I was thinking, it's all God, right? It, it, it's all his doing. As we're going to see in the story, it's all, it's all the Lord's doing. And that's what he wants us to pick up as we're reading. And not only that, but there's one thing required of us, and it's our trust, right? When children fall asleep in the car, it's because they trust you, right? And, and when they wake up in their bed, right, and they've allowed you to pick, pick them up and bring you in, I mean, bring them in, it's because they trusted you to do that. They probably were startled a little bit, maybe woke up and realized you were carrying them and went right back to sleep. Right? And what we're going to see in this story is that the people of Israel, they had to learn to trust in the Lord. They had to learn how to trust and, and just allow him to do the work to bring them to himself. Right? That's what we're going to look at today. And so we're going to be in Exodus 19. And uh, I want to I first give a little uh, snapshot of the passage, and then I want to bring us to where we are in the scripture, where this is situated. And so Exodus 19 um, the Israelites have just been brought out of Egypt. They've been carried by God. They've been brought to the wilderness, brought to Mount Sinai, which is the place where Moses first met with God in the burning bush. He's brought him back to himself, and now he's about to give them the laws of the covenant, right? He's going to give them all the rules, all the regulations, and he's going to meet with them, and God's going to be on top of the mountain, and, and Moses and the people are at the bottom, and Moses goes up on behalf of the people, hears from the Lord, and brings it back, all right? They're gonna, this is a foundational moment. In scripture, this is a transition moment, especially in the book of Exodus, where they have been delivered. Now they're going to be 
organized as a people. They're going to be organized as God's people. They're going to be given uh, the, the template on how to live as the people of God, right? But let's start from the beginning, right? The very beginning, in the beginning, right? So we have here in Genesis 1, we see the creation. We see, um, we see that God creates heaven and earth. He creates uh, the oceans. He creates the sea creatures. He creates uh, the, the plants, the animals. He creates humanity, on the sixth day in his image, right? And, and he creates a garden for them to live in, but they're not just supposed to relax and just do nothing in this garden. They're supposed to cultivate this garden. They're, they're, they are in this garden, and this garden is really, it's, it's, the, it's the dwelling place of God with humanity on earth. And Adam and Eve are to expand the dwelling place of God, cultivating this garden where God meets with man, where God meets with woman here in this place. And, and Adam and Eve reflect God. They are the image of God as they carry out uh, his will, right? And so here we have the dwelling place of God in the Garden of Eden, but man distrusts, right? Humanity, we distrust God. And so the relationship is broken. They're brought out from the presence of God. They're cast out. And, and now we start to see sin, right? With Abel and Cain, we see the first murder. And then it just continues to go worse and worse and worse and worse. And we have Noah's flood where he had to, he had to re, redo. He had to reset all of humanity. And then you have one family line, Noah. And then again, it starts building and building and building. But we still have sin in the world. It's continuing. And so God, he finds this man, Abraham. He finds this man, Abram. Abram was his original name, and then it becomes Abraham. Right? And so now Abraham... He hears from God. God's going to choose Abraham to begin what, what was broken, to begin to fix, to restore the relationship, bringing people back into the presence, back into the dwelling place of God. And Abraham, he's given three promises, and, and he's given a covenant by God. God's going to do these things, right? And these are the promises that his, his descendants, the people who come from him, would become a great nation. And then not only that, but that this nation where his descendants would have a great land, they would have a land, and that this nation with the land would be a blessing to the whole earth, right? And so in these three promises, we see the rest of Scripture unfolding, that this covenant, this promise, this contract made between God and Abraham would affect the entire world. And so from that place, we have Isaac, who's his son, Jacob, his grandson, and then we have Joseph, right? And, and then they have 12 brothers. And so from there, we get the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel. And, they, uh, and Joseph, he, he moves to Egypt, and there's a whole story. Uh, and they bring, he brings all of his relatives to Egypt, and uh, they're, they're favored, they're honored in Egypt, they do well in Egypt until centuries start to pass as they're in Egypt. And they're not Egyptians, they're Israelites. They follow the one true God. But what happens is as they multiply and grow, which was one of the promises given to Abraham. They become a great nation from this one man and this one woman. Now we start to see uh, that Egypt's starting to oppress them. Pharaoh is afraid. He's afraid that these Israelites will rise up and overtake the kingdom. And that now, so what he does is he puts them into slavery. And then as he sees slavery doesn't work, actually, as the more that they oppress them, the more the people multiply. It shows that it's the will of God for them to multiply. There's nothing that... Pharaoh can do to stop uh, this promise made to Abraham. And then uh, Pharaoh sees this, so he says, we're going to kill all the sons of, uh, of the Israelites. But God continues to bless them and bring them and, and multiply them, but they're in a place of oppression. And so they cry out. They're calling out to God, God, where are you? God, 
What happened to this promise made to Abraham? Do you remember? And God speaks, and he speaks to this one man, Moses. And he, he, he tells Moses, I've, re, I've remembered my covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will deliver them. And so this begins this, this, this storyline we see in Exodus where God is going to deliver the Israelites. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh, and he organizes the people in Egypt. And, and there's these uh, 10 plagues. In these 10 plagues, or you could call them wonders, these 10 wonders, God is demonstrating his power over Pharaoh. He's demonstrating that all the gods of Egypt cannot compare with the one true God, Yahweh, the Lord. Nothing can, can, can take his plan off course. He is going to do what he said he would do. He is going to fulfill the covenant to Abraham, right? And so he begins to do these 10 plagues, right? And there's the frogs, and there's the hail, and there's the, the, the Nile that turns into blood, and, and then there's the... Uh, the, the, the firstborn son of all those who are killed. And we see the Passover, and there's so much there. I and mean, we could spend weeks in this. But we get through this, and what we're seeing in this area of, this, of the book is that it's all God. It's all the Lord who is bringing the people out, right? He says, be still, right, and know that I am the Lord, right? We see that all the people of Israel are doing is they're learning to trust and see that it's not by their power, it's not by their strength, it's only by the Lord that they're being brought out, right? We're not even at the good part yet. So we, so we get, he brings them out, right? He brings them out and he brings them into the, the, uh, the wilderness. And now they're in, this, they're in a desert and there's like hundreds of thousands of people. They're like, why did you bring us here? We're going to die. There's no food. There's no water. There's no shelter. They're like, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to be buried? You want us to die out here? And so these are tests, and God provides manna, right? He provides the water. And then they have to face an enemy, the Amalekites. And it's only because God fought for them that they won, right? I mean, that's the story where Moses holds up his arms, and as they hold them up, they win. And when they go down, they lose. To demonstrate that it's not them, it's only the Lord who's making them win, right? And in the same way, now we're getting into, uh, we're getting into the, the, the mountain of Sinai, so they're continuing to move. They get to Mount Sinai. And now here, God's presence is on top of the mountain, right? And, and this is where we're going to be reading today. We're going to be reading how he's brought them to himself for a purpose. And so it says in chapter 19, this turning point in the book, we're moving away from the deliverance into the organization of these people as God's people. And it says in verse 1, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. See, he's repeated wilderness already three times, right? This is, I mean, he wants you to know they're in the desert. They're, they're not in a comfortable place. There, Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Right there, that one verse summarizes all of the first 18 chapters of Exodus. They have done nothing to bring themselves to safety. It has been God himself. It has been the Lord who has carried them. What an image. This is the first time we see this image, and it's carried into the Psalms as well. And it's, he's like an eagle, right? And just picture all these Israelites on this eagle, like coming out of oppression. He's bringing them into, yeah, 
himself. He's bringing him to himself, right? He doesn't say, I'm bringing you to, uh, I mean, they will go to the promised land, but he doesn't even say that yet. He says, I'm not, he says, I'm bringing you to myself. What an emphasis. They have been rescued for relationship. They have been rescued to be with God, right? They've been rescued to be restored. And so he brings them here. First point is you got to recognize that it's the Lord who does this. He does the deliverance. And now, verse five. Now, therefore, when it says now, that's, that's a key to say, all right, when the Bible says now, I got a key in on this. This is a new thought that he's going to be developing here. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests in a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. There's a key word here. We have now, but then there's this other, if. If. It's, a, it's telling us that this is a conditional statement. It's conditional. In order for them to be the kingdom of priests, the special possession, the, the holy nation, they must obey. They must keep the covenant. If they do not keep the covenant, if they do not obey, they cannot become the special possession, the holy nation, the, uh, the kingdom of priests. And so what we see here is that they've been brought to God. They've been brought to the Lord in order for this status, this, in order for this position, in order for this, this purpose that they'll carry out. And when we look at it, it's so similar to the Abrahamic covenant. What we see here is that to be a, king, a kingdom of priests, we need to define that. A kingdom of priests what is a kingdom of priests? It's a priest is someone who stands in the gap between two different parties, right? It's a mediator. Now, priests were very common in the ancient world, and they stood in between the divine and humanity, right? And so Israel, Israel would have their own priests. They, they would have a priesthood amongst the people. Not all the people would be uh, these priests that would be in the temple and the tabernacle. But all of the nation was to take was to take the position as priesthood. So a priest, what he would do is they would stand in between God and humanity as this mediator, right? And so the, the priests would represent the people to God and they would represent God to the people, right? And they would be a link, a link that connects the two. And so when he's saying this, that you are to be a kingdom of priests to, to the nation of Israel, he's saying you're to represent the Lord you're to represent the Lord to all of humanity and represent humanity to all of the Lord, right? You're, you are to be this, this link, this link that's going to connect um, God with the world, with the earth, with all the nations, right? And, and we also see this special possession, or you might see treasured possession, right? That's actually one word in the original. And uh, that word, it's found in different places in scripture, as well as in um, other ancient contexts. And it's it has some different meanings, but the key meaning that we see throughout is that out of all the things that somebody would own, the special possession, that would be the most treasured. That would be the especially loved possession. I was thinking of if maybe, uh, maybe in your home, you might have a lot of things, you know, TV, you might have carpet, whatever. You have all these different things, knickknacks, maybe candles, whatever. But you probably have maybe a box or a shelf where you keep the things that mean the most to you, 
Maybe a watch from your grandfather or a, a necklace or a, a ring from a grandmother or a grandfather. Or maybe, maybe you have a picture of your family from like 10, 20 years ago. Or, or, or maybe whatever it might be. You have something where if you, it was a fire and, and you had to get out, they tell you don't take anything. You're like, I got to take that, right? That, that's, a, that's a precious, that's a special treasure. And so the Lord, he has the whole earth, all of the earth is his. But Israel is supposed to be this special treasure, right? He says also a holy nation. To be holy, we have to define that. Holy is to be dedicated towards something. Right? It's to be separate from everything else in order to be dedicated to something. Right? In, in, in the language of, of religion and, and in, uh, in, these, in like these priestly contexts, to be holy, to be holy is to be dedicated towards the service of God. It's to be separate from the world and be totally dedicated towards what God intends. Right? And so the priesthood, not just all the people, but the actual priesthood, they were the people who served in the tabernacle and the ones who, who, who actually, they were some of the people who studied the law, studied the, the word more than anybody, and they represented God to the people, right? And so what we see here is Israel has not just been saved, it has not just been rescued to stand on their own, to sit in a corner by themselves, Right? They haven't been saved just to, to find one little piece of the world and never interact with anybody else. But they've been saved to become the mediator between God and earth, to stand in the gap between, between the divine and humanity in order that his presence would come back again, that the Abrahamic promise that they would be a blessing to the whole world finds shape in them representing God himself. You know, I, I imagined it like this. I imagined it like a doorway, right? And we see doors all over the place. But doors, they separate us from what's on the other side, but they also give us access. You know, and, and I thought of what if, what if uh, all of a sudden, this is out there, but what if all of a sudden all of the doors, right, and all the windows here all disappeared. They just became a wall. We would be freaking out, Right? We'd be freaking out. Pastor Jamie would probably be getting a hammer or kicking a, a hole through the wall because we'd be stuck, right? But what I imagine here is that the earth, many of the people in the earth, and people that we even know, they, they've been stuck inside a room, separated from what's on the other side, and they need a threshold. They need a door, right? They, they need to get into the presence of God. Since Adam and Eve, there's been a constant struggle to be in the presence of God, the dwelling place of him. And what needs to happen is there needs to be a mediator. There needs to be someone who stands in between, who has a hand with God and a hand with man. I just thought of there's actually a picture of this in the Sistine Chapel, right? Where there's this man and he's holding both, right? Man, that's powerful. And so what we see is that in need for a mediator, Israel is supposed to take this role. They're a priest to the whole world, this special possession. But they have to obey and they have to keep the covenant in order to. Because in obeying and keeping the covenant, what they're actually doing is reflecting the character of God. In order for humanity to be linked with God, they have to know him. They have to understand him. And to know and understand him, God uses people. He uses the nation of Israel here in Exodus and the rest of the Old Testament 
to show who he is. So in order for the Amalekites and the Amorites and the Hittites and all these ancient peoples, in order for them to understand who the Lord is, they have to see the Israelites reflecting the character of the Lord. And what is actually happening is they become the priests who who bring them in if they obey and if they keep the covenant to his presence, to the knowledge of him. But there's a problem. Good stories usually have a problem. And we have a giant problem here. The problem is Israel cannot obey the voice of the Lord and they cannot keep the covenant. They cannot do it. The rest of the Old Testament will be a narrative of how Israel continues to fail at following Yahweh's decrees to obey. They will not love their neighbor as themselves. They will, they will murder. They will kill. They will destroy. They will do all of the things. They will steal. As all people have been guilty since the beginning of time, they cannot reflect him perfectly, and so they're guilty. And so how will the people, how will humanity see God if the, if the priest, if the window to heaven is continually being shut, continually becoming invisible? Well, there had to be one who would come. There had to be one who could, who could live to all of the commandments, one who could, who could keep the law, one who could reflect the true image, the true likeness of God, one who could, who could bring the presence of God to man to us, to humanity. And that's the story of Jesus. Jesus, that's what he does is he actually perfectly reflects the character of God and does it in our place so that we could be forgiven, so that Israel could be forgiven, the people who believed. And what he does is he then enables those who believe in him to be able to live it out, to reflect it. I want to look at Second, um, First Peter chapter 2. He talks about this. He says in verse 9, speaking to the, the Christian church um, that he's writing to, he says, but you are a chosen race. Look at this language. This is written 1,500 years after Exodus. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. It's the same wording. Peter is reading Exodus, and he's, he's interpreting it in the day that he's in, showing them that it's, this is being fulfilled. We're continually being a priesthood. For his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war on, against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And then we jump down to verse 24. This is how it's possible. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter understands Jesus to have lived the perfect life, to reflect the presence of God and the knowledge of him that we might know, that we might see, that we might be changed and so that we might be forgiven in order that we too would become a priesthood, a priesthood that, that mediates the knowledge and the presence of God to the rest of the world. We become a doorway as Israel was a doorway because Christ has enabled us to be 
So that those around us know there's a God who cares for him, cares for you, cares for them. And, and I was just uh, thinking of, of this, and I was thinking of um, last night. Last night, I was like, you know what? I got I to gotta go over my notes. I got to make sure that this is in my mind and my heart. And um, like, but I had just gone all, I had just gone fishing earlier in the day, and it was hot yesterday. It was so hot, and so I was all sticky and gross. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta take a shower. So I go, I take a shower, I come out, um, and there, on the desk, there's a cup of water, there's a fan, and the AC. We only have it downstairs. She's like, Do you want me to go to my parents' house so that you can be downstairs in the AC and not be distracted? And what she was actually doing is she was reflecting the character of God. She was putting my needs above her own, right? She's pregnant. She probably wants to be in the AC. She probably doesn't want to leave the house, right? She probably just wants to relax. But you know what she's doing? She's thinking, how can I, how can I help him? How can I be there for him? Not just what do I want, but what does, what does he need right now? She was reflecting the character of God. Even in those little things, the everyday things, reflecting who he is. She was, she was a doorway, Right? She was a doorway. Does it mean it's, it seems so small, but it's in the small things that life has changed, right? And, and here it is, and, and she's reflecting the character of God, and I'm like, man, my wife, she loves me, and she loves the Lord, and I know that because she's helping me. She's there for me. You know, I was thinking of, uh, there was this uh, time me and my dad were, um, we were going into this, uh, we were going into this hobby shop. Right, and we're going in, and we were looking for some. Uh, uh, we have like different hobbies, like toy cars and all kinds of stuff, and um, and hunting and fishing, all that stuff. And uh, we walk in, and, and um, the the owner's there, and he's in a bad mood, you know. And um, and his wife comes in, and and uh, it's far away, by the way. It's not around here. And just so I don't know if anyone's into that stuff, so. Uh, so he comes in, he's angry, his wife comes in, she gets him the wrong food, he starts getting real angry, really angry, and uh, he's like, oh, where's my French fries, and he's, you know, you see his kid, his kid is like scared, and then you see all the, all the workers, they're, they're a little scared and annoyed, and, and, then, and then my dad goes up, he needs to get something, and they don't have it, and the guy's getting real angry with my dad, and and he's just, you know, spitting on him basically with his words. And, and then uh, I'm like, all right, see what my dad does. Take him out. You know, like, <laughs> let's see what happens. You know, let's see what happens. You want to talk like that? And, um, you know, I'm like pumped up. And uh, so this guy is all angry. And then my dad just looks at him with no anger in his eyes. And he goes, are you okay, man? You seem like, is there something wrong? Like, can we do anything for you? You know? And... Uh, the whole, guy, the whole demeanor of this guy just changed. Everything in him just changed. You know, even like, I'm sorry. It's been a rough week. And, and, you know, he just looks at his kids, looks at his wife, and he just totally realized what had happened. And, and what I saw, it's just such a moment that will always stick with me. Because here I am, I'm like ready to fight, you know? I'm ready to watch a fight. I'm not ready to fight. And, and here he is, and what I'm seeing is this, is I'm seeing... I'm seeing this man with all of his bitterness, all of his anger, maybe some of his fear, meet with, with, with my dad, but really, it's meeting the character of God, right? And, and what I picture is this, that it's like 
My dad was acting like this priest in between this man who is bitter and probably lost and looking for an escape in his room without a door. And he's looking for something and he's met with the presence of God, the reflection of God through my dad. And when he sees him, he's actually seeing him. He's actually seeing Christ. Right? He's actually he's actually he's looking through a priest in order to see the character of God. He, he spits out bitterness, but is met with love and compassion. That's supernatural. It's not normal. It's a miracle. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That, that, that here we are, just humans, just people, going through every day. We face troubles. We face hard times. Yet Jesus has become this priest that has connected us with the presence of God, the knowledge of him, and the ability to, to carry it out. And, and now we have become priesthood, a priesthood between those who are around us and, and God himself allowing them to see him. And I was thinking of all the people that we see every day, our wives, right, our husbands, our, our, our children, people in the grocery store, our neighbors, our friends, maybe the person that you don't even like that much. And I was thinking all the different times I've had interactions, all the different times that I've, I, I've, I've had the presence of God inside of me and I've chosen not to be a doorway when people were desperate and in need to meet with God, to meet with him, to be near to him, to understand the character, the love, the selflessness. And they were met with a door. They were met with, with, a, with, a, with an obstacle. There are people all around us. There are people in our households. There are people in, in, in our jobs. There, there are people who need to see the reflection of the Lord, the character that he has. We need to be a priesthood, a priesthood that, that brings the dwelling place of God to them. As the church, the Holy Spirit resides in us. The presence of God is with us as a community. And when people interact with us, they're meeting the presence of God. They're seeing the character. It would be such a shame for them to be so close yet not understand. Imagine if Israel came to the mountain and they never saw the top. They never saw the presence that they continued to walk right by it. That, that they didn't see that there, there is a God who delivered them and cares for them. That has a plan for them to not just be any old possession but a special possession, a holy nation set apart to be a royal priesthood that the world would know, that, that the Garden of Eden would be reestablished in us, that, that lives would be changed, that disappointments wouldn't be the end, that, that death wouldn't be the end, that he does care, that he is here, we're called to be a royal priesthood, right? I thought of it like something that me and my dad always say is a bucket of love, right? Are you carrying your bucket of love with you? Are you, are you bringing the presence of God with you? Are you walking into different places and what are you pouring out on them? Are you just pouring out the love of Christ that he's given us? Are you pouring out maybe the bitterness, maybe the fear? Give it to the Lord. You don't hide it, you don't bury it, but you become a priesthood. 
First, you meet with God, and then you allow them to meet with God. This was Israel's command, and now it has become our own. People are desperate. We're desperate for it. And so I'm going to be closing, and if the worship team wants to come up, I want you to think of, I want you to think of somebody this week. Think of maybe even a group. Who do you need to become a priest for? Who do you need to be the doorway for? Who is in desperate need to know the knowledge and character of God? You do it by resembling it, by obeying and keeping the covenant. And when you fail, you understand that Christ has done it in your place, and you seek forgiveness. Let's pray together. Father God, we just look to you. We look to you, Lord, the perfect God. Lord, you do it all. Just as you delivered Israel from Egypt, Lord, you've delivered us from sin. You've delivered us from death. And God, you've brought us to this relationship. You've restored and rescued us in order to obey and in order to keep the covenant that, God, we would reflect your character. Reflect your character so that we would be a mediator connecting those around us with you. That, God, we would be a doorway to people's rooms without doors. That, Lord, we would be a bucket of love, Lord. That, God, you would, you would pick people up, Lord, the way that we were picked up as children and brought to you. Lord, there are people all around us who need to understand the, the forgiveness, the reconciliation that you've brought through Jesus Christ. And you've chosen us, Father. You've chosen us to be this priesthood. Help us, Lord, have eyes to see. Eyes to see, Lord, those around us. Thank you, Lord. For anyone who might not know, who might say, I am, I am that person who needs to be mediated to God. I'm the one who needs to be in his presence. I do not know that. I don't know the forgiveness of God. All you do is believe. You believe and trust in the Lord. You believe and trust that Jesus died for your sins. And you begin to walk with him, obeying what he says to do. Not out of fear, but out of a pure joy that this is the best way to live. That he's drawing me to himself. And so you might just want to pray. And you can repeat this. Lord, I'm in need of you. I've sinned. I've broken your covenant. Lord, would you forgive me? And you would you restore me and bring me to yourself? And now we trust. He's done all the work. We love you, Lord. Help us be, Lord, a priesthood to meet with you and help others to meet with you. You're so good. In your name, amen.